0: Welcome to the Pizza and PE Podcast, the Triple P, where a group of friends get together each week to eat pizza and discuss PE.
1: In today's episode, we have another true goat of our profession, Dr. Kurt Henson, otherwise known as Dr. Recess. And as a physical education teacher and a national presenter, he's going to share his Dr. Recess program, how to motivate students, and the problem of too much sitting.
2: Pretty excited to hear that. This is a great guest today. But before we get to our guest, let's talk about our quick pizza fun fact for the week. Guys, you would not believe this. That in the United States alone, every year, 38 billion would be billion dollars worth of pizzas are sold. It's a lot of pie. Huh.
0: That's crazy. Huh. So are you saying that uh, people like pizza?
1: I think so. Just a little bit.
0: And they probably like PE.
2: About as much as we do. All
0: right. So our guest today is Dr. Kurt Hinson, otherwise known as Dr. Recess. He's been in teaching for 37 years. 16 of those years had been in elementary. 21 years was at the college level. He currently works as an educational consultant for PlayFit Education, where he presents staff development workshops. He goes and tours across the United States promoting his Dr. Recess program, where he shares games kids can play during recess. In fact, he actually sets up that recess model and he shares and plays with the kids during recess as well. We had the pleasure of having Dr. Recess in our large large urban school district. He holds a PhD in kinesiology. He's pretty smart guys from Temple University. He has presented, like I said, in all 50 states. He has been a publisher of over 50 articles and he has authored three books. One I'm holding up right now, Fitness Activities for Kids, which was released this past summer, which I absolutely love because during remote teaching, this book was very useful for stay-at-home parents who wanted to know games and activities kids can play at home, as well as our teachers, what kids can do and play and activities they can do while being at home during COVID time. His other books were games kids should play at recess and six steps to a trouble-free playground. He is the one of the most absolute dynamic presenters I have ever experienced. I Every time there he presents at a national conference, we go to it. I absolutely love it. Um, he is a true goat in our profession. In 1992, he was the National Association uh, for Sport and PE is Eastern District Teacher of the Year. In 1991, he was the Delaware's PE Teacher of the Year. So let's bring him on, guys. Dr. Kurt Hinson, otherwise known as Dr. Recess.
3: Hey, what's going on?
0: Hey, buddy.
3: Hey, Good doctor. to see you these shirts.
1: Love it. We know, we know a guy, Kurt. That's cool. If you need one. We, we can
3: help you out. Yeah.
0: How did you come up with that name, Dr. Recess?
3: Well, it happened at a school in, about, I don't know, maybe 2003 or 4. I forget what year, um, but it's been a while. Um, I was at an elementary school in Denver, Pennsylvania, which is out in Lancaster County, maybe an hour west of Philadelphia. And um, I was introduced to the kids um, in the morning when I was doing my doctor my, my playground assembly, teaching them games. I was introduced as Doctor Hinson. Um, so after the assemblies, I went outside, set the games up on the playground for the kids to come out and play. And at lunchtime, when they came out for the recess, I was out there, and know it had been a few hours since they had met me in the assemblies early in the morning so uh many of them have forgotten my name they knew it was dr something um and they knew i was the guy from recess but they didn't remember my name so they started calling me dr recess guy so for the next couple hours like hey dr recess guy Hey, dr recess guy so on my drive home that afternoon i was kind of like you know chuckling about it hey that was pretty funny dr recess guy so i ended up thinking it was a cool name, so I dropped the word guy, obviously, and I just uh, went with Dr. Recess, and I trademarked the name and got a new logo made, and and it's been Dr. Recess ever since.
0: So it is trademarked?
3: Yes, it is trademarked.
0: Wow. Okay, so then your Dr. Recess program that you go out to schools, can you elaborate a little bit on that?
3: Yeah, I'm Dr. Recess. I go to schools. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, I started um, – I started doing teachers teacher trainings back in the 1990s. I would say the first one might have been 95, 96. Um, when I had written my book, uh, Six Steps to a Child-Free Playground um, and Games Kids Play at Recess in the 90s, the original ones, um, I was going around and I was doing just the teacher training. And I was training the teachers and playground aides on how to set up games and use the games. And you know there were six steps to it. Uh, about teaching social emotional skills and all kinds of other stuff. Um, so I was promoting the the workshop for teachers, um, you know, all over the country. I was doing it, and I started to get to school. And I well, I would tell the schools, "Here are the games. Here's the book. You know, learn the games and go teach them." And you know, a couple of schools would say to me, "Well, who's going to teach these games?" And I'm like, "Well, you are." And they're like, "No, we're not." And so I said, yeah, you can do it. They're easy. They're simple games. Just read the book. You'll be fine. So a couple of schools said, well, will you come back and teach the games for us? Will you teach the kids the games for us? And I was like, really? You want me to come to your school? You're going to pay me to teach these games to kids when you can do it yourself? And they're like, yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll do that. So I started going to schools and doing you know, the, the games with the kids themselves. So um, it ended up a few years later, I had more schools that just wanted me to come teach games to their kids. They didn't want the teacher training necessarily. They just wanted me to come teach games to their kids. So that's how Doctor Recess really took off. Um, the, I, I realized the the teacher training. You guys have, have been through it. Obviously, you know what it's about, um, and it's it's a great program, and the and the schools get really good benefits out of it. But uh, it's the games that the the schools really you know really want. And it's not until I teach the games that they start to ask questions uh, about the the background behind the games, like why should we do this. That, that they get interested in the teacher training. So
0: um, mm-hmm.
3: it's kind of flipped around; the the games become the most important part. Um, but after they've got, seen the games and they want and they become more interested and they want more information about the program itself, then they start to realize that the teacher training is essential to their success. So, yeah, um, I agree. Yep. Yeah.
2: So, you know, it's funny, um, something you said there, and I want to circle around with with you on this, because we had uh, Chip Candy in last week, and we asked the question to him about, you know, the, the terms that just come out in the hot topic of the moment in education. And one of those things was SEL. But you mentioned just now that you started teaching the SEL part of your program way back when, before it became, you know, a big thing. What made you... Really, talk about that to get people to understand that that's the important part of this.
3: Well, what's crazy about the SEL stuff, Grammar, is I published like three articles on social Mm -hmm. emotional learning back in the early 1990s. And it was way before anybody was even talking about it. I published these articles. And it was because of the research I did when I wrote those articles that I got really interested in social emotional learning. And in the 90s, I was working on my PhD at Temple University. And I got so interested in social-emotional learning that it actually became the topic of my dissertation for my PhD. Um, and that that's what I studied. I studied how kids learn their social-emotional skills um, through play, whether it's cooperative, competitive, or if they're by playing by themselves. So I studied that. Um, so that was the early 90s, and nobody was really talking much about, about um, social-emotional learning. The big thing at the time that, that was kind of – PE was kind of caught up in was this uh, curriculum integration. I mean, we we still have that, and people still get caught up on it a lot. Um, and I'll I'll comment on that in just a moment. But the at the time, everybody was trying to incorporate or, or integrate math into PE, science into PE, social studies yep. into PE, and it was a big thing. And that's what everybody was doing. And I was doing it too. I mean, I was doing math and science and all that. And I I wrote articles about that stuff. But the social emotional learning I saw as something that was way more valuable and useful. And I I saw a way better um, response from the kids when we focused on the social emotional learning, the cooperation, the empathy, the self-control, stuff like that. Um, I saw, you know, great response from the kids in in activities where we focused on that stuff. They got a kick out of them and they they really liked them and they they were learning some good stuff from it. Um, But curriculum integration all through the 90s was the big thing and then it kind of died out but then then it's come back that um through between like 2010 or 11 it it was it was a big thing again um so everybody's into that again um the thing about the uh curriculum integration is we we did a little bit of in the 80s we did a lot of it in the 90s We, we kind of died out a little bit then it came it's come back again people are still talking about it um the thing about it is i think we made a mistake um back When I started teaching in the early 80s, from that point on, people were always talking about it. But I think we made a mistake in that we were trying to justify the importance of physical education by incorporating other curriculum stuff into our PE program, uh, math, science, reading, whatever. And we we said, okay, if we can show that we're teaching reading, we're teaching science, we're teaching math at the same time we're doing physical activity, then they're going to love us. They're going, to, they're going to throw money at us. They're going to increase our budgets. is going to be important again and all that crap. And that never happened. So we made a mistake. We shouldn't have been trying to integrate PE. I, I'm sorry. We shouldn't have been trying to integrate curriculum, uh, curricular activities or whatever you want to call them uh, into PE. We should have been trying to get the classroom teachers to integrate physical activity into their classroom.
0: Mm-hmm. That's where
3: we made a mistake. We, we should have been pushing physical activity on them and they should have been using it instead of us trying to use their spelling list and their reading, you know, stuff and their math problems and all that. So we did it backwards. It's you funny know? you
1: say that, Kurt, because um, that's one of the things I just mentioned. We just did. You probably have seen it going around. This People are putting out their career wise on social media and why they're getting into the profession. That's one of the things I mentioned was we need a shift in teachers understanding the value we bring. To the table every day and they need to start incorporating our stuff into what they do because yeah. our stuff's going to carry more weight over time to get the best out of their kids to help regulate their behaviors yeah. moods because naturally you know we know that movement is a built-in classroom management tool if it's done properly yeah
3: mm-hmm. like if you can have two two third grade teachers teaching math at the same time in side-by-side rooms and they're you both using the same textbook or whatever it is they use okay and they can be Equally qualified, the same degrees, the same number of years experience, everything could be the same. If one of those teachers is doing math using movement, she's going to be way, he he or she's going to be way more motivating than the person next door in the other room. They are. The kids are going to be excited about it. They're going to be into it. They're going to enjoy math more. They're going to learn more just by that person using movement. So, you know, every classroom teacher should should be using as much movement as they can. Uh, And that's where we made the mistake. We thought we had to start putting math in the PE or whatever. Uh, We should have been giving them ideas to put movement into math, so.
2: Well said. So now to kinda, I'm gonna go back just a little bit with you and again, bringing up that SEL part. So would you say when you developed your doctor recess model, was was it more to, you know, kind of mold SEL and, you know, into the recess games, because we know that a lot of learning, a ton of learning happens on the playground. And that's where people, I kind of think, miss the value of recess. Yeah. But as part of part of the recess, the Dr. Recess model, you know, it.
3: I guess, is it where you really want SEL to, to shine? Well, it, I think it's a great place for it to shine. Um, obviously, Kramer, you're familiar with my, my playground program, and you know there are six steps that a school can set up and implement to to make the program work. And Step number one is to teach those social emotional skills, to help develop them among their students. Um, I see the playground as a great place uh, for that to happen. Um, Basically, there are four reasons why you even have recess. One is to get some exercise, two is to get some fresh air, three is to um, get some sunshine, for improve your vitamin D levels and all that. But the main reason, the fourth one, the main reason is socialize with your peers. And it's a great place for kids to do it. And it's an opportunity for them to get out there without being overly supervised and, you know, someone looking over them, they can, they can kind of be themselves and, and, you know, negotiate and and compromise and get along that way. Um, So the playground is a great place for that. So that's why it's the first step of the six steps, because it's the most important thing that they, that they get out of recess, this socialization among their peers. So Kurt,
1: we know that you've traveled all 50 states to do your program. You've even done some internationally. So, you know, rock star status there. But, you know, to, you know, when you go out to these schools, what is the one common thing that you typically see? Whether it could be positive or negative, you know, just, you know, what are well, things that you commonly observe when you go to these
3: schools? There's one common element that I see everywhere, and it's hard not to find it. It's, it. I've only seen it not happen at one school. I mean, out of that, you know, I, I, I've been to se- several thousand schools over the past 20 some years. Um, but there's one thing I see everywhere. And I, I can only recall one school where I didn't see it happen. And that one thing I see everywhere is recess is taken away from kids for either misbehavior or not finishing the work. And I've, there's schools that make kids walk the, around the perimeter of the blacktop or concrete area um, the entire recess because they're not allowed to play. Um, so yeah, that's the most common thing I see, Andrew. It's they take recess away. And some people say, well, what else are we going to do? Um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of things that that you can do, but you're, you're trying to punish kids into behaving instead of trying to motivate them into moving and punishing them for misbehaving. Isn't as good as motivating them to be active play something, you know, teach them how to play correctly and give them something exciting to do. Um, And then let them do it, you know.
0: So why don't you go into the bottom of the wedding cake and the top of the wedding cake? Or what does that mean?
3: If you go go to any playground and just observe the kids playing um, and how they play, how they set up their games, how they run the games and who's participating and doing what, you will notice that there's a hierarchy to the playground. It happens at every school, everywhere you go. And um, the hierarchy is what I call the wedding cake theory. And the wedding cake theory is this theory that um, there's a hierarchy on every playground. It's divided into the, in the layers. And I look at it as three layers, uh, top, middle, and the bottom. And the top layer are the, are the people in charge. Like, I'm captain. I'm picking teams. You're on my team. You're on the other team. I'm kicking first. I'm the quarterback. At, these kids run the games. They tell other people what to do. They're in charge. They get to be involved in everything based on their own choices and decision making. And everybody listens to them. Who's listening to them? The middle layer. The middle layer of the wedding cake is the one. They're the wannabes. They want to be in the games. They want to play. They want to you know participate. So they're not the leaders, or at least they don't think they can be. So they go along with the kids at the top. They listen to what they say. They do what they tell them to do. And although they like, just pick me be on your team, you know I don't care if I don't get the be the quarterback. That's okay. Just pick me. These kids want to be in the game so bad. They'll just do whatever to be with these top layer kids. Well, the, the, uh, the wannabes have put, have a lot of potential. They just don't use it and don't realize it. The bottom layer of the wedding cake are the kids who are left out there. If they try to go over and get in a soccer game, nobody wants them. They don't pick them. They tell them to get lost. If they do get into a game, nobody passes them the ball. No one lets them be the kicker or the quarterback or the pitcher or whatever. Um, so, They discover this bottom layer of kids. They discover very early that they don't belong, that they're not they're not good. uh, Nobody really wants them to be on their team. So they shy away from the games. And if you ask them, do you want to play soccer? They'll be like, no, I don't like soccer. Some of them love soccer, but they would Mm -hmm. never admit it because they just think I'm not that good or, you know, nobody wants me anyway. So the bottom layer kind of gets left out. And some of them choose to get left out because they they've either been hurt before where they feel like, you know, it's not for them. Um, So when I go to a school, I really try to get the staff to focus on this middle layer. This middle layer are the wannabes who want to play. They're not always the most popular or have the greatest athletic ability, but they do like to play and they're, they're pretty good. Um, And I tell these kids, you know what, you don't need to go over there and, and listen to these three people tell you what to do. You could go start your own game And we could have two soccer games, two football games, two uh, kickball games, whatever it is. We don't you don't need to stay in that game because you're not getting any turns. Um, So the the middle layer are are the ones I focus on. And I try to get them to understand that they have the ability and they're capable of going and doing it on their own instead of just listening to the top of the wedding cake. And if you can get that middle layer engaged, um, it it causes the hierarchy to break up. The the top of the cake will crumble. Those kids won't have anybody to, to tell what to do and the bottom layer gets pulled up, some of them will, will get into those games with their middle layer kids. Um, they'll be fine in there. So yeah. that's what I really try to do. It's uh, focus on the middle layer kids. You know, you, I try to set up games where there's a little bit of something for everybody and you can jump in at your own level. And if you, you mess up, it doesn't matter. And if you succeed, that's great.
0: All right, so we have uh, also been part of your teacher training of your Dr. Recess program. Yeah, Which I think it is essential for really to understand student motivation and behavior and why kids need to play that teacher training explains the why. But one of my favorite parts of that teacher training that you provide at your doctor recess programs is when you discuss the five C's and you, you discuss the five C's in a lot of your presentations. Can you tell our audience what the five C's are when it regarding student motivation?
3: Sure. Control, challenge, curiosity, creativity and constant feedback. Thanks very much. <laughs> See, once you know the five C's and you know how they it work, it, it's hard to teach without using them. Like you, you have them in the back of your, of your mind, and you want to, you know, implement them. So the five C's: they're control, challenge, curiosity, creativity, and constant feedback. So let me explain it. Um, there are two types of motivation. There's intrinsic motivation and there's extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic comes from within, you do something because you value it, you see the good in it, you know you're gonna benefit, you're doing it for your own reasons because it's something that you like or you wanna get something out of it for yourself. Uh, the opposite of is extrinsic motivation that comes from outside of you. You're doing something because someone else wants you to do it and they're trying to manipulate you typically to do it. Um, and the way that they try to manipulate you, the most common ways are bribes, threats, punishments, and rewards. So in schools all over the country, everywhere I go, um, when when Andrew asked me what's the most common thing I see at, at schools, that that was that recess is taken away from kids. The second most common thing I see at every school is teachers are bribing, threatening, punishing, rewarding kids to get them to do stuff. That's the most, the second most common thing you'll see. Um, the reason that we use bribes, threats, punishments, rewards to motivate kids is because they work. I can get people to do stuff. You know, if I offer you a thousand dollars a lap, I can get you to run ten laps around the track. Um, so I can bribe, threaten, punish, reward you and get you to do stuff. So it works. Um, but it's, it's short term. Um, I can get you to go out and and jog 10 laps today and by offering you something. Um, but tomorrow I got to offer it to you again. And and the more I try to get you to do it, the more I got to increase the offer. Um, so it's very short term. It doesn't last long. Um, and it, it destroys something that we should be trying to develop. And that is self-responsibility. Um, when you're manipulating people, you're not teaching them to become self-responsible. Um, you're not teaching them to become intrinsically motive- motivated on their own. You're basically controlling them. So um, by by using extrinsic motivation like bribes, punch and rewards, you're actually hindering the opportunity to develop intrinsic motivation and mm-hmm. self-responsibility. So I like to focus on intrinsic motivation, and you do that using what are called the five c's control challenge curiosity creativity and constant feedback um basically you offer kids a sense of control so they feel like they're in charge of something you um you you challenge them at a level that makes sense to them you you're creative in such a way that it it seems novel to them it's something new um so it grabs their attention um you um you make them curious um if you make them curious it Grabs their attention really well because they want to see what's going on. And then the last one is constant feedback Um, For years and I would say from the time I was in college in the late 70s um, Through the early 80s and then when I started teaching um, I heard a lot about feedback. We had we have to give a lot of feedback and um, You know, I noticed feedback was being used, but it was only coming from the teacher one. And if you're a teacher and you're in a classroom with 30 kids, 25 kids, it takes a long time to give everybody feedback. So what you really want to do is have multiple ways for kids to receive feedback and you want to receive it constantly so they can get it from them set for themselves using checklists or videos that they could see what they did wrong. They get it from their peers. So you want to set up, so they're getting constant feedback and they know where they stand. Um, what I discovered when I was doing research on motivation and, you know, kind of came across uh, originally it was the four C's. I added the fifth one myself. Um, but when I was doing research on the, the motivation and the five C's and all that, um, I came across the, the fact that video games are designed around the concept of these five C's. When you're playing video games you have control you can stop and start when you want if you're losing you hit reset you're winning you can save that game and come back to that spot tomorrow you're challenging the level to make sense to you you can play beginner intermediate expert advanced you get to choose your level of difficulty in many video games you're um you're curious as you go through video games they're building levels so you can go level one two three four five or whatever is some games don't tell you how many levels there are because they want you to play them to find out they make you curious um they challenge you they make you curious and then there's creativity uh, colorful action and graphics music playing that the kids like and then the last issue is constant feedback you always know where you stand mm-hmm. every time you're playing a video game you know how you're doing it's right there you know if you know if you're winning or losing or you know whatever so we need to um, take a look at those five C's and see how they work in video games because video games grab kids attention and keep them for a long time kids mm-hmm. become really focused on them and they'll play them forever if you let them um so you know i started looking how can we use some of these five c's in our lesson so i i i use the five c's i try to set up everything i do based on at least one or more of the of the concepts of the five c's um and when you can give kids a sense of control challenge them make them uh, make them curious be creative and give a lot of feedback you'll see a change in how they perceive the activity or the lesson and how interested they are and focused they are in doing it now, to think back, uh, I know you, you, you talked a little bit about
2: this earlier, and just think back early on in your career when you started developing the Dr. Recess program. I mean, what was one of the things that, that made you say, okay, look, I love teaching PE, but Recess is the place to go, and I want to revamp Recess, you know, and and you left the PE world behind to do this. What was something that made you kind of go that route? And then, you know, because you're presenting this everywhere and you've presented a ton of places and seen a ton of presentations, what do you think it is – what do you think makes a good presenter?
3: Well, as far as – I don't I don't feel like I left the PE world behind because I do a lot of stuff with PE, obviously. But, um, you know, at my school, we had pro- we had behavior problems um, on the playground, and they weren't major. I mean, kids were coming in arguing about something. Like they didn't get a turn in the game. Someone cheated, and you know, but- it wasn't – Fist fights or anything like that. I mean, we in my sixteen years there, maybe we had a couple of fist fights at recess, but most of the time it was just people mad about, you know, not not getting a chance to play in the game, not getting a turn, uh, not being able to be the quarterback or the pitcher. Um, Someone cheated. um, They didn't win. You know, they got upset, and you know they get mad at each other. And someone might push somebody, but wasn't super violent or anything like that. But what was happening was. The, the problems were coming back into the classroom and the, the classroom teacher after recess, I mean, she, okay, it's time to start science. It's time to start reading. It's time to start math, whatever it was. And she was spending some of these teachers were spending 10 or 15 minutes trying to calm kids down and get them focused because we, you know, Hey, it's time to start science. We got to, we got to do this. But she was trying to handle problems from the playground, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes. And, and so the easy solution to that, was the teachers just started sending kids to the office. Like, I ain't got time to to deal with this. I got to teach science. So boom, you two go to the office. You know, you come in from recess arguing, go. And so we were having these kids sent to the office. And after, you know, recesses at my school ran from like 1130 to one. You know, it was every half hour after lunch. And the first lunch was 11, 11.30. So at 11.30, there was there was a recess from 11.30 to 12 while the other group was eating. Then there was another one from 12, 12.30. So when you you go by the office, you know, the first recess started at 11.30 and the second and it ended at noon. So you go by the office between noon and 1.30, there was always, you know, a half dozen or more kids sitting there. And I'd go in like, what are you guys doing? We got in trouble at recess. What'd you get in trouble for? I don't know. Nobody knew. They were, their answer was, "I don't know." And so, <laughs> the principal, all of a sudden, every half hour between you know noon and one thirty, would end up with twenty some kids every day, you know, being sent in there because the teachers didn't have time to deal with it. So the principal actually asked me if I would help solve this problem of recess. Like, can you teach them something that they can play? So that's how that started. Um, so I just, I just realized that. When I went outside on the playground to watch, because at the time when this was taking place, I didn't have recess duty. I didn't go out there. I, I, you know, I had other duties. I had like cafeteria duty. I had bus duty, but I didn't have recess duty. So I didn't know what was going on on the playground. So it wasn't until I went out there and started watching and observing what they did that I realized that what they're playing is terrible, and it's what they're playing is causing all the problems. Like how they how they set up the games, how they're running the the hierarchies, running everything, and the games are terrible. Um, you got 14 kids standing in line waiting to kick, um, you know, all that stuff. So I realized I got I to gotta help them, you know, play some different types of games. So that's why I wrote Games Kids Play at Recess in the book and started teaching people how to play them. So, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's not that I left the PE world behind. I just had a problem at my school that I needed to solve. And, you know, once I started teaching them games and the games worked, and you know the different concepts that i was focusing on in my doctoral program on social emotional skills i realized that this is valuable everybody this is going to help a lot of people so that's why i started doing it as far as presenting uh kramer um you know i think what makes a good presenter is um you first of all you have to be knowledgeable about what you're talking about second you have to be um um well, besides knowledgeable, I, mean, I lost my train of thought, but I think you have to be knowledgeable. And I, oh, I think you need to have some experiences uh, on what you're talking about, you know, that you've been there and, and like it's happened to you. And you got to turn that those experiences into stories and tell stories. Just like I, I told you the story about Jagger out there when I was telling you about the wedding cake. Yeah. You know, I don't tell you the story about Jagger. Uh, and I just tell you about the wedding cake, it doesn't really make sense. But when you, you hear about Jagger and how he, you know, was in, he was top of the wedding cake and how he took over control and tried to run everything. It makes yeah. more sense. So I think you gotta be knowledgeable. You gotta have the experiences so you can tell stories. Um, so, um, there was a, there was going back to that. Uh, here's a story on the wedding cake again. Um, this kid in Pennsylvania, I forget what school it was at, but it's been a while ago, 2007 or eight. Um, I went to the school for two days. The first day, they just wanted me to observe. They didn't want me to do anything, just watch the kids at recess. And then the second day, I was doing doctor recess, and then I was doing an after-school training with the teachers. So I went and observed, and the first day, there was this kid. Um, he came outside, and their biggest problem, they have this big kickball game, and, and there's always like 30, 40 kids trying to get in the kickball game, and they have arguments every day. So um, this kid, he comes out. he basically, He's top of the wedding cake. He picks the teams, um, tells everybody what to do, and, of course, his team's – kicking first and of course he's the first kicker and he kicks the ball he kicks the ball and he pops it up and the like center fielder catches it so he's out so there's like 15 kids in line so he he's out he goes to the end of the line and now the second kicker goes and he gets on base and the third kicker goes and gets on base and it goes gets down to about the sixth kicker now they got like two kids on base they've scored a couple runs and there's one out or whatever and all of a sudden this kid's back at the front of the line He's, he weaseled his way up from like 15th in the end of the line. And, you know, before or after like only five or six people have kicked, he's back at the front. And I'm like, why would you guys let him up? And they're like, well, he's really good. If we let him kick, we're going to win. So he basically topped the wedding cake, has manipulated his way and told these kids, hey, I'm better than you, so let me kick. And they let him do it. So You, you see stuff like that, top of the wedding cake. It, it drives you nuts, but that's what kids do. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, Kurt, too, like one of the I think one of the greatest things, too, about your program. And when I first started teaching, I pretty much modeled my teaching practice after watching you. I was very fortunate early on and I went to see you three or four times in the beginning of my teaching career. And I really started taking what you do as far as the inclusion style, small sided games. It mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Yeah. And oh, yeah. The kickball game of having 15 kids in line, just making small sided games will eliminate a lot of those problems. Doing the inclusion style teaching eliminates a lot of those problems, you know. So kudos to you on, you know, introducing me to that early on because it changed my world, you know.
3: The most common thing you see is the the people, the adults in the playground stand together and just talk to each other and have their backs turned. And then then they get all annoyed with the kids when something goes wrong, like blaming on the kids. But, you know
1: right. So you got a model of behavior you want to see for your kids, too, just like in the classroom. Yeah. So. Um, so this is one of our favorite questions we're going to ask you, because we've had the opportunity to watch you keynote this presentation about too much sit going on. And I know you had, haven't had a chance to present this to a lot of people yet. Hopefully in the future you will. Yeah. But would you mind sharing just a little bit of what that's all about with too much sit going on?
3: Well, there is too much SIT going on. It's a serious problem and the problems all over America. It's affecting everyone, especially our youth. Um, it's becoming a bigger problem every day. And as PE teachers, we need to stand up and do something about it. Um, the problem I'm referring to is there's just too much SIT going on. Um, that's right. We have a SIT problem. Uh, if you look around, you will notice that there's SIT everywhere. Personally, I used to care less about other people's SIT, but now other people's SIT is starting to affect me. In fact... I'm getting sick and tired of other people's sit. And I don't think we should tolerate all the sit that's going on. People sit everywhere. They sit here. They sit there. Their entire day is just filled with sit. They sit at home. They sit at work. They sit at school. They sit when they eat. Basically, they're sit all over the place. Everywhere you go, they're sit. Everywhere you look, they're sit. Some people not only do sit, but they talk sit as well. (laughs) When you talk to people, they constantly talk about all the sit they did or they talk about all the sit they're going to do. They act like their sit is better than other people's sit. They think they have good sit, but all sit is bad sit. And it's important not to let bad sit happen to you. Some people will tell you that having a lot of sit is fine and beneficial. They will try to give you sit, but don't take their sit and certainly don't put up with their sit. People expect me to care all about their sit. Uh, they want me to give a sit, but I'm not interested in all their sit. People plan sit all the time. People will tell you they don't have time for sit, but yet all they do is sit. There are just too many people who are full of sit. Some people will sit in front of the television for hours. I call that dumb sit. Some people will sit in front of the television and eat a bunch of junk food and drink alcohol. I call that stupid sit. Some people will invite friends and family over to sit in front of the television and eat junk food and drink alcohol with them. That's crazy sit. Some people don't think their sit is a big deal. They think it's all just small sit. But sooner or later, a little sit turns into a big sit, and then the sit is out of control. Before you know it, let me, all oh, my phone's ringing. I don't know who that is. Hold on. Um, before you know it, there's SIT everywhere. When I was a kid, we didn't do SIT. Um, my mom didn't put up with any SIT. She always told us to take our SIT outside. As kids, I didn't have time for SIT. I was busy playing, running, riding my bike. Um, but kids today, they become used to a lot of SIT. In fact, <laughs> I'm looking at my phone here. I, someone was coming. <laughs> I don't know if they can hear me or not. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, my kids today they're becoming used to a lot of sit in fact kids today spend more time doing sit than any other activity our society has created an entire generation of kids that want to do nothing more than sit we i think we need to put an end to all the sit we need to stop feeding the, our kids sit we need to stop giving them sit and we need to stop teaching them sit all this sit needs to stop' oh, hold on. <laughs> not supposed to laugh thank you uh, The sooner we cut cut all the SIT, the sooner we can improve the health of our nation. If we continue putting up with all this SIT, we are destined to become full of SIT ourselves. As PE teachers, we need to band together to cut the SIT. We need to be role models for living physically active lives instead of spreading more SIT. We need to get rid of all of our SIT and get up and move. We need to be role models for physical activity instead of being a bunch of SIT heads. Me, personally, I'm done with SIT. The SIT (laughs) is over. I'm not going to promote sit, I'm not going to spread sit, and I'm not going to do sit. The sit stops now. So don't be a sit head, don't be a sit face, and certainly don't let sit happen to you. Take control of your sit before your sit takes control of you. And when there's a lot of sit going on around you, get up and move, because moving (laughs) is the best way to cut the sit.
2: (laughs) I'm just so glad we did not have to censor this. (laughs) You
0: didn't slip, that was fantastic.
3: Yeah, I usually slip a few times.
0: The last part of this podcast, we incorporate what's called Quick Bites. So hang out for about maybe another five minutes. We're going to do Quick Bites, and then we'll say our goodbyes. So get ready for Quick Bites. All
2: right, Kurt, so this is the famous questions, quick bites slash quick fire that Andrew and I are going to run you through. First thing that comes to mind when we ask you these questions, we can always elaborate on them later and circle back around to them. Kim has not heard any of these questions, so she's totally oblivious to what's about to happen. So uh, when you're ready, let's go. And now, mind you, some of these questions are because we do know you personally, so we have, you know, some knowledge of what you know and what you like, and we're going to throw some of those at you. Too red. Too red. Oh, go ahead. DH or no DH? Uh, DH.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, floss the dance or floss the teeth?
3: The teeth, man. I have flossed my teeth every day for almost forty years. I haven't missed a day.
1: Yeah, he's a professional.
3: <laughs> all right. I know you read a lot of books. So, favorite book all time? Favorite book of all time? Wow, that's hard because I got over two thousand books in my library. Um, I would say *The Success Principles* by Jack Canfield.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, favorite Jimmy John's sub?
3: <laughs> oh, That's it, man. That's the best sandwich ever. Light on the out, right? I missed uh, one. I, I haven't been to Frisco ISD in a long time now. Um, because of COVID and I, every time I go to Frisco, there's a Jimmy John's near my hotel. I get it out every time.
1: We're going to, have to rename that to the, 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 Kurt sandwich or something. Turkey yeah, Tom. Uh,
3: yeah. Turkey
1: the doctor Tom. Recess. Yeah, The Dr. Yeah, Reese's sandwich and Turkey.
2: This is going to be another tough question. I mean, you've been to a lot of places across you know, the United States and some international places, but favorite conference,
3: favorite conference. Ooh, that's tough. Um, um, that's, that's a hard one. Um, because they're like Jekyll Island, the show The Wealth is great. Um, and, every year, uh, the people there are great. Um, but the Texas, the Texas, um, summer and winter conferences are always good. Um, uh, the uh, there used to be a little conference in, um, in Camp Caesar, uh, West Virginia that was unbelievable. Um, so there's a lot of cool things out there, everything is, is good. Um, I tell you, I went down to Guadalajara, Mexico. They have a conference down there every January spent a couple weeks down there in Mexico. Um, and that's a cool conference. I wish I could speak Spanish a little better. Um, but anyway, uh, that's a cool conference too. But anyway, there's some good stuff out there.
1: All right. So what is the best advice someone's ever given you?
3: (laughs) The best advice, um, in 1990, trying to think what year it was. I want to say it was 1993. Um I went to a conference up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Um it was put on by uh Human Kinetics was one of the sponsors of that. It was a TP conference teaching elementary PE. Uh Lee Allsbrook. I'm pretty sure that's his name, Lee Osbrook. East Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did, a, did a keynote address uh, um one evening. Um great Great speech, uh, really highly motivating, and he, the best advice I've ever heard. Someone, get, or someone gave me, and, and and I still use it today. Um, he ended his his keynote address. He said, "Never ever walk away from a negative person. Run." And it was just like the way he the way he said it, the way he you know it just captivated everybody. Man, he just said. You know, don't, don't walk away from negative people, just run. So it was cool. It was, it was good advice.
2: Very cool. Uh, cool.
3: Favorite game, drop 21 or pickleball? Oh, drop 21, man. I mean, I like pickleball, you know, cause I'm old and can't move now. Um, I like pickleball. I'm, I'm, I'm playing like five days a week here in the, uh, in the retirement community. (laughs) I live in a, in a assisted living community. No, I don't. My, my in-laws thought I moved My wife and I moved into an assisted living. It's a 55 plus community, but we have pickleball. We have nice courts. Um, I'm playing like five days a week, Um, but drop 21 is still a great game. So I'm going with drop 21.
1: And uh, for all of our audience and listeners out there that, that, don't know this, but Kurt is also a little private contractor on the side, you know, especially with this COVID stuff. He's, he's, he can build some stuff. So Kurt, uh, shiplap, lap or tongue and groove, which one?
3: Uh, shiplap. Um, like I just put some beadboard up in some lady's house that's tongue and groove beadboard. Um, but, um, it's, it's too, um, country looking for me. The shiplap is more, It's farmhouse, but it's also uh, nautical in a way too. But the shiplap is sort of like a tongue and groove; it it slides into each other. Uh, I was doing um I was doing shiplap today. Um, but um, I do a lot more board and batten than I do shiplap. Board and batten is big. So Um, anyone
1: out there that needs any work done,
3: if you need information, podcast. Yeah, if you need shiplap or board and batten or bead board. Or, uh, any of that stuff, man. Yeah. You just give me a call. I, you know, you can go to my website too. short You can see. And you'll stuff.
1: teach games at the same time. So
3: it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People, people that I, I go and, and I do their house and they ask me, you know, how long have you been doing this? I said, well, since I lost all my, all my income from Dr. Recess, uh, that's, you know, since COVID started. Um, no, uh, yeah, people are, people are, it, it's funny because, um, they, they, they. when they hear that I have a PhD, they wonder why I'm doing woodworking in their house, you know, and I'm painting stuff. And But, um, hey,
2: do COVID,
3: you got to do what you got to do.
2: So this would be a question for us friends here. And, I mean, a lot of people who have seen you speak.
3: Is it you talk too fast or we listen too slow? Everybody listens too slow. <laughs> I don't talk fast. People listen slowly. Yep, you just got to listen faster. Okay. That's it.
1: <laughs> Well, Hey, thank you so much, Kurt. I mean, we, you know, you're not only, you know, someone we look up to in our profession, but you're also a friend of ours. And uh thank you for coming on to our third episode of the Pizza and PE
3: podcast. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. It's awesome to, to be with you guys. And uh, anytime I get a chance to speak to you guys, it's always fun. And uh, yep. It's uh especially with COVID, I man, you don't get out and talk to people and you can't go to conferences and all that. And uh, for those of you that, are, are listening? You won't can't appreciate this, but this is the longest my hair has been in 25 years. Look at that, man! I mean, I, I can grab a hold of it. I haven't had a haircut in over two months now. If you want,
0: well, last week's guest, he ate some magic pizza that all the hair and beard just came off. You know, go yeah. get a slice in well, it. The reason
3: happened. I'm letting it grow is because I've been accused of being Chip Candy twice now in the <laughs> last year. People people call me Chip, and I'm like, what? You know, saying. So I got to have more hair now than Chip so I don't look like Chip. Even with my glasses on, Chip doesn't even wear the glasses. People still, so they call me Chip. They, they, they come up to me and they came up to me. I'm trying to think what conference it was. Um, it was Jack Weiland last year in 2020. Um, that was the last conference I went to. No, yeah. California was the last one. But anyway, I went to Jack Weiland and then someone came up to me um, you know, on the second day and they said, oh, I came to your presentation yesterday. It was great. No, I didn't do a presentation yesterday. <laughs> Mine's today. It was Chip. <laughs> I'm growing my hair so I don't look like Chip. Amazing.
0: Wow. Well, thank you, You're Dr. Welcome, Princess, our friend, Kurt Henson. Thank you so much for sharing everything about your five C's and too much going on. Yep. And plus, wow. please, Fitness Activities for Kids, fantastic resource. A lot of Most of the activities that you created and the reason why you did this book was for activities that can be done at home and during yep. remote settings. So it's so awesome. So I can't thank you enough for coming on to our Pizza MPE podcast. Thank Appreciate you. It.
3: You're welcome. Take Bye. care, guys. Thanks, Jerry. Yep.
0: All right, Kramer mm-hmm. and Andrew. This is a part of the time where we just kind of sum up one of our aha moments. And my aha moment with Dr. Recess was when he said, we need to band together as PE teachers. Now I know it was a humorous keynote, but in his message, he was basically one of the highlights. He said, band together as PE teachers and end the sitting. There's too much sitness going on in our our world. And we have to band together to get kids moving more.
1: I'm just so happy he didn't slip up.
0: (laughs) I do. Now I don't edit any part of that.
2: (laughs) You know, when he does that, that might be the slowest that he talks. So mm-hmm. we don't have to listen faster there. But, you know, one of the things that sticks out when we talk to Kurt is, you know, he's got a ton of stories, been a lot of places. But one of the other common themes, though, is really these kids that are sitting out and every mm-hmm. time you go to a school and see it, and it's for one reason or another, and you go, when you ask that teacher, did that kid come back to class and they were stellar students for you? And it's, well, no. Well, then why? And then they always come back with, well, we need to hold something over their heads. I mean, I, that, we know that's not right. You know, we don't, we don't take math or reading away from a kid. Why, so why would you take the most important thing? And, and and he was saying, well, we take kids away from a lot. We take recess away. We also, I think, have teachers that forget that that is the only safe place that these kids can teach or, or play. It might yeah. be the green space that they have. It might be the only time that they can actually move around and feel safe and not have to worry about, you know, somebody coming up and, and, and scaring them or doing something, you know, not right. Right.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. You know, so for me, you know, again, like just, you know, just hitting on again, the fact that you know, teachers should be integrating our content into what they teach. You know, that that is so important because if they start doing that and, they, and the evidence is out there, the research is out there to support that, they're going to see big changes in their students and they're going to be less stressed. You know, so mm-hmm. it has that trickle-down effect and it helps everybody, not just students but also the teacher. And then the fact that I loved when he said that, te- you know, a lot of teachers, they punish kids into behaving – instead of motivating them into moving, you know, yeah. that is, that's huge. And it's so true. You know, we feel like punish first, then the behavior is going to change. But most time it doesn't. And we and now we have that, that wall that we may have built up between us and that student because now they have trouble maybe trusting us or feeling safe around us. You know, we have to motivate them first to find out what's going on. And let's try to keep it more positive than negative. You know, sorry, so I love they
0: said that. It's the same kids every day who have to sit out. So truly, is that really working for you? If the same kids are sitting out every time. Yep. All right, you guys. So this is the end of episode three with Dr. Kurt Henson. I'm done with my pizza.
1: So
0: we got to get moving. We've been sitting way too much.
1: Too
0: so much. Slice so you later.
1: Ciao. any school that we watch that really facilitate a playground really never have problems because they're involved. They're, they're paying attention to what their kids are doing on the playground. Yes. And to me, that's a huge deal because it shows you have interest and you care about what they're doing on the playground outside of what they're doing in the classroom. Yeah. You know? So you know, we find teachers that you don't necessarily have to play, but the ones that do play, all the kids want to go over to where that teacher's playing games, right? Yeah. Or if they're just there to hang out and talk to, talk to students, they find out more about their kids during play than any other time. Cause that's where kids are most vulnerable and that's where they feel like they can let their guard down a little bit and be themselves. And that's what really builds those relationships and really connecting to students is through play. It's mm-hmm. so valuable and so important.
3: Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. I, I see a lot of, a lot of schools where the teachers just stand in a little group and talk during recess, not even paying attention to the kids. And, uh, and then they, they yell at them when they do something wrong. I'm like, well, you know, you're not engaged with them anyway.